glad we've got the Word of God. You know, I I was listening to someone uh, probably earlier in the week, and they uh, they they were sounding a lot like me when I talked about God's Word. They said uh, uh, they were saying something along the lines of, uh, you know, don't forget the span. I can't remember. It's about fourteen. 1400 years across uh, the Bible was written, that span of time, and at least 40 authors, and most of them didn't live at the same time, or if they did, they didn't interact with one another, and a lot of them didn't see the other things that were written, and you put all that together and you think, well, how could it all be consistent? How could it all fit together other than a God that's directing the entire thing? So uh, uh, it's just, you know, again... Uh, I urge you, when you look at this Bible, when you think about it, this is no ordinary book. You know, this is the Word of God. Uh, This is life. This is uh, uh, when this world passes away, and the Bible says it will, the the Word of God will not. You know, we, uh, I believe we're going to stand before the Lord, and it's going to be us, Him, and the Word. That's it. You know, that's all that's left. Uh, But that's all we need, and I'm thankful for it. But Judges chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my commandment with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the borders of Timnatheres in the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I pray that it would, uh, uh, we would open up our ears, you would open up our ears and our hearts to what your word has to say. Lord, help us to be attentive. Uh, Lord, and I ask that you'd help me to preach tonight. Lord, that your, the word would go out in power like you promised. Lord, uh, I ask the Holy Spirit to point out things in our lives. Help us to draw closer to you. And if any doesn't know uh, you as Lord and Savior, I pray that tonight they would before it's too late. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. So we see in verse 1, we've got the angel of the Lord appears uh, to the people. And based on what he says, I believe that this is an appearance of Jesus Christ before he came to Bethlehem, before he was born of a virgin. We know that there are several times where Jesus appears. And you're thinking, well, Mike, why do you think that? Well, I think that because of what he is saying. He said, this angel of the Lord said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and I made you, uh, and I have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, listen to this, 
I will never break my covenant with you. Yes. You think of those yes. words. Yes. No angel made a covenant with the people, children of Israel. That the Lord made a covenant with them. So I believe that's uh, who only God himself could say something like this and it be true. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people struggle with that. They say, now, wait a second. There's no way that Jesus could have appeared in the Old Testament. And I ask why? What? Well, he couldn't, if you think that's when Jesus started, if you think he was created that day and wasn't existing beforehand, but the Bible says long before that day in Bethlehem, Jesus was. In fact, uh, he created this world, so he came before all of it. Uh, and it's that, that same Jesus that spoke to the children of Israel, I believe, that day, and he's reminding them, he's saying, I will never break my word with you, yeah. right? I, yeah. I'm never going to break that covenant that I I've got with you. Uh, and, and here's the thing. We're, we are not Jews. We're not taking over for the Jews. We're not replacing them or anything else. Uh, but I'll tell you what, we can find uh, a blessing in this knowing that not just these promises, but there is no promise that Jesus ever made will be unfulfilled. It may take a while, but he will fulfill. He will make good on every promise. He can never lie. He's not going to change his mind. Uh, you know, so here's the thing. I, I think about this. Remember, he's talking to disobedient people. When he's talking to them, he's going to, in a minute, he's going to point out their disobedience. So you can see the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You can see the grace and mercy of God, even in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I like to point that out because sometimes I've heard that there's a tale of two gods. You've got the Old Testament God, you've got the New Testament God, and they're not the same. And the Bible just doesn't support that. So verse 2, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. He said, I, I don't want any people peace treaties. I don't want any pacts. I don't want you to coexist. I don't want you to do any of those things. Uh, I want you to rid them out of this land. Yeah. He was giving yeah. them the land. He said, I will go. Uh, I was just reading this the other day. He said, I will go ahead of you basically, and I'll start clearing them out. You know, not all at once, but I will start clearing them out as you go. He said, no, don't make any leagues. You need to throw down their altars. You need to get rid of that stuff. He said, because if you get rid of them and keep their gods, it's going to be a problem. But look at the end of verse two. But ye have not obeyed my voice. And then he asks them the question. Yes. Why have you done this? Why? Why have you disobeyed me? Why did you not obey what I said? Why? It's a simple question. But you know, Jesus could ask us the same question today in many areas of our lives too. Why have you not obeyed me? Why have you not obeyed my word? Why have you not trusted me? What's the reason for your disobedience? What's the reason for your sins? They had no answer for that. And neither do we. Verse 3, wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. He is reminding them, he said, hey, I warned you. I told you what to do at first. I told you to rid the land, tear down the altars, get rid of all that stuff. But I also warned you, if you didn't, they're not all leaving. 
You're going to have to you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to live and it's going to be a problem each and every day. He's going to say he's saying it's going to be just like uh, having a thorn in your side. I'm going to leave some enemies there because you're not uh, completely obeying me. And here's the thing. If they would have completely obeyed God, they wouldn't have had a single enemy. And it would have been peace, it would have been blessings, it would have been everything else. But he says, hey, because you left some, the problem started. You know, the same thing's true in our life. We can't, we can't clear everything out and then leave a little bit in our hearts. We can't leave the little disobedience, leave a little uh, of this sin and things like this. We can't leave that stuff in our lives unchecked uh, without taking it to God or there will be problems. And that's what he said. It's going to be like a thorn to your side. Not only the people, he said, but their God shall be a snare unto you. That snare is like saying a trap. Their gods are going to be a trap to you and keep you in bondage. And these are the same children of Israel that had been, were in bondage in Egypt. And God brought them out miraculously. They crossed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Uh, He took care of Pharaoh. And he's saying, hey, these false gods of the Canaanites will be a snare and you'll be in bondage to them. Yes. And I'm thinking, yes. can you believe that? Can you believe, can you just imagine for a second them letting a lifeless piece of wood or stone or metal put them in bondage? Now, it's one thing if the, the Pharaoh, the strongest empire at the time with all his chariots and everything, it's one thing for them with power and might to keep you in bondage. But I'm talking about a little statue with eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear, a tongue that can't talk. And you're going to let that thing rule your life? He said, if you don't tear down the altars, if you don't get rid of the false gods, you will be in bondage to it. And I'm telling you what, we are surrounded by a world that's in bondage to nonsense today. It is ruling their lives. Sin is ruling the lives of people today. And he's saying, hey, uh, don't just think the world can fall into that snare. He said, you don't things out of your life you and I can fall into the snare too and before you know it we're in bondage to it the Lord warned them that it would happen and they didn't heed the warnings they didn't listen verse 4 and it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept so here we've got Jesus appearing Reminding the people first of his mercy and love, right? He's telling them, he's saying, hey, I I love you. He's reminding them of his word, his promises, his covenant. And then he points out his sin. And by the way, this is what Jesus does all the time. That's uh, that you know, it's his formula right here. He starts out with mercy and love, and then he gets to truth. And then he points out the sin. And then there's a decision after that. It's the same thing today. It's the same thing in the gospels. There's no difference here. It's, you know, they want the love mercy of Jesus but they don't want the truth they don't want the conviction and they definitely don't want the repentance but he said that's the way he's pointing them right here he's saying hey uh, he's pointing out their sins uh, and Jesus isn't going to he's not going to physically come and appear to us but aren't you glad he sent the comforter the Holy Spirit and that's what the Holy Spirit does for us today Uh, what do we get we get to realize his mercy is real Uh, we get the grace from the Lord Uh, we get the truth he explains it he helps us to understand it and then we get conviction of sin right And then after that, then it's decision time. And that's what we get in this verse. The people had a choice that day. What are they going to do? Are they going to ignore the angel 
Are they going to ignore uh, Jesus? Are they going to make excuses? Or, you know what some people do? They just make a promise they never intend to keep. You know, I was talking about it Sunday. Remember, I was saying, hey, there are people that have come to the altar and prayed a prayer and never intended to change anything in their life. They are not saved. If that's what you've done, you're not saved today. There's no repentance there. And that is a requirement of turning. And this is what we see right here. The children of Israel, what did they do? Their sin was pointed out and it brought shame and they wept. They brought out, it was sadness. And you know what? The same should be true for us. When sin is pointed out by God in our life, it should bring sadness. Why? Uh, And you could say, well, Mike, I know as a Christian that I am forgiven. That sin uh, has been paid for. And I will say, you are true. That is true. But I will tell you something. Don't forget the payment for the sin. Don't forget what it went through to forgive the sin. So we can't just, yes, grace is free. Yes, uh, you know, we've got forgiveness as a Christian person. If you have called on Jesus' name, if you have repented, if you've turned to him and he's forgiven you of your sins, if you trusted in the cross, yes, he's paid for it. But that price never got any easier. That's right. Amen. It only got easier for us. Amen. So we took his free mercy and grace that he paid for. So here they are. They're doing. This is what the children of Israel did. Look, verse five. And they called the name of that place Bochim. Bochim, and they sacrifice there unto the Lord. That Bochim means weepers, and that's what they're doing. They're weeping. They're crushed. They're they're genuinely sad that they've gone against God, gone against God's word. And what did they do? They build an altar there. They started offering sacrifices there unto the Lord, and that's exactly what they needed to do in the Old Testament, right? That's what they needed to do. Not just weep over the sin. Not just be sorry that they're caught. Not just go on and live cry a few tears and live the same life they didn't do that but in those days to deal with sin you had to offer an animal that's what they did they offered sacrifices for their sins to be covered aren't you glad we don't have to do that today we don't have to offer animal sacrifices the sacrifice was made on calvary jesus christ died for our sins Uh, he was made sin our sin was placed on him Uh, he voluntarily went up to the cross he died was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead all according to scriptures so that now we can call on his name for salvation and I love 1 John 1 9 if that uh, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I love that verse because the first half once the confession of sin takes place the second half is cleansing of everything and I say thank God for that you know he's cleansed me of things I've forgotten And I thank God for that. That's what we need today. We need to own up to the sin. Not excuse it, uh, but confess it. And then get forgiveness and cleansing like he promised. So what happened? Verse 6 and 7. Joshua would let the people go. This is after the crying, after the sacrifice. The children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
So if you remember in the promised land, or if you didn't know this, uh, each of the tribes got different areas. So each of them had different spots. So after this point, they were all kind of dismissed. They went to their different areas uh, and and they started taking over uh, uh, the places and doing what God had told them to do. Uh, So they're going back to their old lives. So this is again, after forgiveness, after cleansing, then what happens afterward? Uh, uh, We see this, uh, verse 7, and the people serve the Lord. You see that next is obedience and service. So you've got, first you've got uh, the showing of the the sin uh, was revealed. They were guilty. They repented. They asked for forgiveness. They confessed it. And now they're serving the Lord. That's what they're doing. Obedience comes right after that. That's the part of repentance saying, you know what? Uh, I'm not just sorry I got caught, but I'm sorry that I'm living against God. And I want to turn and serve God. Instead of being an enemy of God, I want to be a friend of God. Instead of rebelling against God, I want to obey him and be obedient to his will Joel 2 13 says and rend your heart not and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil in those days part of repenting would be to tear the clothes and put ashes on their head and he said you know what I, I don't if your heart isn't torn up over sin I don't want you to tear up your clothes or do anything outwardly he said I want you to rend the heart tear that right tear that open yeah, and, and yeah. give it to the Lord Amen. that's what he's saying you can't just put on a show because you can impress those around you you can impress mom and dad or those around you but you can't impress God why because he sees the heart he sees right into your heart he knows your intentions he knows what's going on and uh, you want salvation from him you've got to be honest with him and once you are when you give him your heart you're honest with it he will do what he said he will and then in verses 8 and 9, we're going to skip over those. But basically, Joshua dies uh, and he's buried. And then we get to the beginning of verse 10. And we see, and, all, and also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. So we, Joshua dies and everyone that was around him in that time period died as well. So all the, the leaders and everyone at Joshua's day all die there at the beginning of verse 10. And then the second part of the verse, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel and I think this is one of the saddest passages one of the saddest verses we have in the Bible right here is because we can see just from one generation to the next we can see things falling apart Right, we can see uh, you've got in one generation with Joshua and Caleb, uh, they they saw uh, the the mighty power of God getting them out of Egypt. They walked over the Red Sea as by dry land. Right, they they watched the water go back over and drown Pharaoh and his chariot or Pharaoh's chariots and everything else. They saw the power of God, and then they saw God taking care of them in the wilderness every step of the way. When they needed water, he he provided water. They ate of the manna from heaven. They they did all of these things. Yeah. They wandered around to the disbelievers died off. Uh, but then as they got to where they could cross over in the promised land, they crossed over the Jordan as by dry land the, uh, 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 before, after sanctifying themselves. Then they get to Jericho and they followed the instructions. They marched around and uh, by faith, Jer- the walls of Jericho fell down yeah. after they yeah. were compassed about seven days uh, with not a, not a uh, catapult, not a battering ram, but just shouting praises to 
to the Lord in obedience, the wall fell. They, they saw all of that along with all the different battles in the book of Joshua, all the, all the, uh, the victories that were won and everything else. They watched that, but then that generation was gone. And it was the next generation where the problem started, right? Once people stopped needing the Lord, once they stopped fighting, they started turning to compromise. And that's what you see as you go into the book of Judges. That's what happened. They, they started compromising. Uh, and then not only that, a lot of them didn't even have a real relationship with the Lord at all. They didn't have that. They didn't know who he was. So then the miracle stopped. And you're thinking, well, that's the problem, Mike, right there. That's the problem. If the miracles would have continued, they would have turned to the Lord and everything would have been different. No, they were serving Balaam. Remember the false god of the Canaanites? If God would have made a miracle happen, they would have said it's Balaam doing it and it would have strengthened them in Balaam. So he cut all that off. He said, no, you're going to cry out to Balaam. You'll get nothing, right? You cry to him for rain. I'll send you a drought to try to wake you up, right? You think he's going to protect you? I'll send the enemy. That's what happened. That's what you see over and over again. That cycle in Judges. Guess what? That cycle kind of continues as well, getting people's attention. Sometimes the Lord does a little tough love to get people's attention. But do you realize this is it? This is what the devil wants. He wants either us or the next generation to not know God, to not know his power, to not know the, that prayer works, to not know anything about serving the Lord, to not see anything that the Lord is doing, no miracles, that's what the devil wants. He wants one generation, he wants the next generation. If he can't get to us, if it's too late for us, he wants the next generation, right? And that's what we're seeing. Just one more, one more removed from the manna, one more removed from Jericho, one more removed from all of that, and then all is forgotten. That's what the devil wants. And I mean, the same thing. Look at, we've mentioned this many times before. Think about Abraham, his nephew Lot, right? Abraham's a man serving God, who had an altar, spoke with God, followed God, trusted God. You know, he made his mistakes, but he walked by faith. He trusted God. And then Lot was hanging around with them until they got too much stuff and they had to part ways. I don't see Lot sacrificing. I don't see Lot making an altar. I don't see Lot talking to the Lord. I don't see him doing any of that, right? Lot knew about the Lord. He knew about Abraham's Lord, right? He knew who he was and maybe had a little bit of a relationship with him. But Lot's children, they're all lost. They didn't know the Lord. And what happened? Lot's children, not knowing the Lord in the city of Sodom, were confused, right? What are you talking about, Lot? What do you mean, this God, this Lord that's going to judge? What are you talking about? Everything's fine. Judge what? There's nothing wrong. We've lived here. You're okay with it. You've never said anything was wrong, right? We're coexisting. We're, we're accepting everything, right? This is, just let love be love, right? Right? What happened to the kids? They heard all that. They lived under that. Didn't get the truth. Didn't get a real witness. And now we got the same thing that's going right here. Right? And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. 
And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And guess what? Balaam is a fill in the blank. Because if one of them said, you know what? I don't trust Balaam anymore. Balaam's not helped me. Or I found a different one. You know, the devil could care less. If you uh, are in one false religion and you decide to switch to another false religion, he could care less. That's right. Right? You grew up Mormon. You go on the uh, you go on the missionary trips. You do all the stuff. Uh, you you get uh, you get in in the temple and all those things. And one day you take a trip somewhere and you see a Buddhist uh, a monk there, and you thought, you know what? I like that better. I, I think there's more enlightenment there. You think the devil's going to stop you from going from a Mormon to a Buddhist? He could care. In fact, if you want to change back later, he doesn't care. They don't fight each other either. Hmm. You ever you ever seen that? Watch. Try to find two false religions fighting against each other. They don't. They don't. Jesus said the house divided against itself can't stand. Right? They fight against us. All of them. Why? Because we have the truth. That's it. That's it. That's what he wants. But... But the Lord wants it the other way, right? The Lord wants it the other way. He could have, the book of Judges would have ended right there if the Lord wasn't merciful, if the Lord didn't love, and the Lord wasn't planning on keeping his covenant with them. But no, what would he do? He'd wake them up. They'd start crying out to the Lord, they'd, that, which means they quit crying out to Balaam or whoever else. And then the Lord would send a judge, a deliverer, and then free them from that bondage. And you see that cycle going on over and over again. But here's Jesus talking to them. And he's going to be the ultimate deliverer down the road. He's See these judges, they, they weren't perfect. They were far from it. But they were uh, a little foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. He would deliver men and women from their sin. That's what he would do. But here's the thing, even if you've got people in verse 10 and 11, they can come out of that through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Such what's the Bible say, and such were some of you after listing off a whole bunch of things, right? Were, were. Amen. Children of Israel trusted in all this stuff. But we go back to earlier in the passage. There was problems up there too, but they wept and they turned and they sacrificed and they found forgiveness. Amen. I believe it could happen again today, Amen. right? Don't leave the sacrifice, but you turn to Jesus Christ, which is what the sacrifice is pointing to anyway, turning to Jesus. So this week, I want us to focus on praying for those that know not the Lord. Remember, what did you hear me say the other day? I think there's two problems in the church. Two big problems. Number one, people aren't in their Bible every day. Every day in the Bible. And if they are, the second problem is they're not applying the Bible to their life. I think those two problems are killing the church right now. But guess what? We can take a passage like this. And again, we're not going to make ourselves Jewish. We're not. We're not going to make ourselves Israel. We're not. But what we are going to do is say, hey, the Lord was warning that if you go down this road, right, then the next generation, there's going to be even, it's going to be even worse. You know what we need to do? We need to say, you know what? I'm going to be like Joshua, right? 
Not going to be perfect, but I'm going to trust the Lord as much as I can. I'm going to be strong and courageous. I'm going to turn to the Lord for direction. I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust in his word and his promises. So you know what? The next generation can't say that they don't know what God looked like. They don't know what his power looked like or anything else. I am tired of talking about things that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago in the church. I want to talk about things now because we've got kids that are 5, 6, 7, 10 that if we talk about something 15 years ago, they weren't alive yet. I'm tired of telling stories. They need to see Jesus at work in the church today. And I believe it can happen, don't you, church? But it's got to start with us first. It's got to start with us. And if he's pointing something out, we've got to take heed. We've got to. Because we're all right. Joshua's all right. Those around him were all right. But the second they were gone, they weren't all right. I don't want that to be us. Do you? I don't want it to be us. I want to raise up another generation of Joshua's. And in fact, what's exciting is you know how the Lord can work? He can raise up a next generation that's better than we are today. Woo! Amen? Amen? He can do that. He can do that. But what we need to do is what God's called us to do today. So I know sometimes in prayer meetings,